right, welcome to Therapize Podcast. This is your host, Guy Hernandez, licensed marriage and family therapist in California. And today we have a very special guest. We have the nerd therapist, Yoni so- Dr. Yoni Sobin, coming all the way in from New York today. Well, yeah, thank, thank you, you very for much joining. for having me. Yeah. <laughs> so you are a psychologist, which I just got just learned just a few moments ago and gone on your website several times to learn about what the nerd therapist is, right? And like how you've come to that. So yeah, I'm, I'm eager to learn, but yeah, if you can describe to the audience what the, what does it mean to be the nerd therapist? Of course, of course. So, so first and foremost, I'm a clinical psychologist, mm-hmm. uh, which means I see patients uh, in an office, depending on, you know, of course, the pandemic and everything. Right. Uh, and I practice cognitive behavioral therapy, the most current evidence-based form of treatment that we really know uh, is out there. Uh, I specialize in treating OCD and anxiety disorders in, in specific. So a lot of compulsive handwashing, which as we know now is like extremely common. In, in addition to that, uh, other phobias and, and disorders that uh, are agreeable and, and treated essentially with something called exposure therapy. Um, so okay. you're afraid of dogs, closed spaces, panic attacks, things like that. It's all under that umbrella. Uh, and more specifically, uh, the nerd therapist practices a form of therapy called superhero therapy, which was developed by Dr. Janina Scarlett uh, over uh, out in San Diego. It's in essence, uh, the idea that everyone can be a superhero, everyone has the ability to be their own superhero. Um, but the whole thing started actually at a Comic-Con. Um, I was walking down Artist Alley one day, and I stopped by uh, a table of this guy. Uh, his name is Ryan Fisher. He, he wrote this book, Torchlight Lullaby. And I was asking him about it, and he was telling me, uh, that it's the story of this little girl whose nightmares, you know, kind of invade the real world and she has to travel and, you know, through through her dreams. And and he told me that it was really a metaphor for, for dealing with mental health struggles. Mm-hmm. And we got to talking and uh, I ordered, you know, I ordered the graphic novel. It's an excellent read. I don't know if you can still find it online anywhere, but I, I definitely, definitely recommend it. It's called Torchlight Lullaby. Uh, and, and it really all began with the graphic novel and I realized that there were, there are so many stories and so many mental health ideas and then uh, that are present in pop culture and things just kind of started flowing from there. And I started noticing all these different things and different psychological themes. Uh, I started thinking about like Batman, the animated series. And I don't know if you've ever, have you ever seen it? No, no, I haven't. But I, I, I do remember this might be slightly off topic, but of watching a special some time ago about um a psychology documentary about batman but yeah um, yeah yeah i I probably i probably saw that one yeah um i don't know if if dr travis langley was featured in that one um then uh then i definitely have seen it um and so it's it's really just a way to make therapy more fun and more engaging for for patients and to be able to learn things about yourself through thinking about fandoms and other arenas that people have a, a personal investment in, whether it's Batman or Harry Potter or Star Wars or just, you, you know, a made up world that someone has created. The chances right. are within that world, there's a whole world of information ready to, ready to be able to be learned from. Absolutely. And, and what I was talking to you about just before is uh, this being like a, um, I said, a more refined uh, narrative, you know, approach to therapy. And 
it, it reminds me as well, like when I first became a therapist, I was working with this nine-year-old and I, I had no clue what I was doing, of course. And you're just trying to throw things at the wall and like, okay. And we had good rapport, but what shifted, um, uh, I guess somewhat unintentionally, or just we kind of went to it was looking at the Hulk um, and analyzing the Hulk, uh, his character, watching videos to help this kid understand, like you're saying, what was going on for him. So it sounds like those are kind of the the devices you might be using is looking at different characters and how we connect to them. Yeah, and, like just man. yeah, like 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 with the Hulk, like you're mentioning, you know, the the problem with the Hulk isn't the fact that he becomes a giant green monster. It's does he become a giant green monster at times when he's not needed to be a giant green monster? Right. And when being a giant green monster is going to, you know, unfortunately lead the, the small wooden bridge that he's walking on in a, you know, in the middle of the woods. And if he hulks out at that moment, he might fall into the river and that wouldn't be the greatest time to hulk out. And right. so using metaphors like that, helping, helping children and, and adults as well to really understand well, what does it mean to have to control my emotions? When people tell me control your emotions, what is that? What does that really mean what are they really asking of us are they a are there you know we know that they're they're not saying it's a good idea to suppress yourself we know that they're not saying it's a good idea to just push the emotions away but what does it really mean to learn to control to control one's own internal state um and how do we do that in a healthy way as opposed to an unhealthy way absolutely and i and i think uh something i heard in there too of what you're saying or, or maybe implying and kind of me me implying as a therapist as well is when we, you know, externalize what we're going through, it, it can be easier to analyze and maybe hold sometimes, right? Like, so if I'm asking this nine-year-old, you know, what's getting you so upset versus like, let's look at Hulk and let's think about what's getting him upset, right? And then eventually right. we'll come back and connect it to you and the meaning. Um, but I, I'm incredibly curious, like, of, uh, let's say I, I come to you and, and I'm, I'm struggling with uh, maybe some hand-washing, like you mentioned earlier, some OCD, uh, uh, behavioral patterns. Uh, I saw on your website that you you said that sometimes there's a prescription, right, of of the whether it be a certain movie to watch or uh, maybe a comic book to read. Well, what might you say, hey guy? I know this is you know you're just making me, but hey guy, this is something I really like for for this kind of behavior or thing you're going through. Yeah, what what might that look like? Yeah, so 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 really, it really definitely does depend on the patient. Um, a lot of times, one of the things that I'll do is I'll ask a patient to tell me about some of their um, particular fandoms that they appreciate, and then I'll think through what I know. And if uh, you know, if there's nothing in in my wheelhouse, I'll I'll turn it kind of back to them, and uh, and ask them to tell me a little bit more about that, which characters they relate with and relate to, and why. Uh, oftentimes, there's characters who have their own tics and their own quirks or who other people maybe sometimes comment on. Um, and in terms of like the broader scale of things that there are a couple of go-tos that I, that I include in like a regular course of, of therapy. So uh, the, the film Inside Out is often an extremely like very early on, uh, especially when there's a lot of emotion dysregulation, a lot of, you know, nervous system, a lot of irritability, acting out, yelling, screaming, things like that. Um, talking about, well, what does it mean? Who's really, you know, who's who's really the hero at the end of the day? Is it is it the character in the movie, or is it their feelings and working together and figuring out how to navigate through that? And so that at the end of the day, in Inside Out, like sadness is really the hero of the whole film. Um, and 
understanding that even the the unpleasant emotions they have they, they have value they have utility they're we're experiencing them so that we can learn from them and that that the you know the, the greatest teacher that, that we have is really ourselves and our ability to learn things and that we have mentors along the way but nothing will teach us better than what what we contain within us that we it's it's really the, the greatest source of information um, and that there's so much information out there in the world. And if we think about, uh, you know, sometimes a, a negative thought that we have, um, I can't do this, or I'm never going to get it. I'm not going to be able to learn this. I'm not going to be able to succeed that for, for all intents and purposes, those things are, are thoughts and that they're thoughts just like I can succeed as a thought and that you may not believe a particular thought and, that that's sometimes where things start to go awry is it is an unwillingness to believe a particular alternate way of looking at things because it doesn't feel quite right. And a lot of times the, the reason we struggle with that is, is because, well, we just don't feel good about it. And, and that's something that, that parents uh, come across with kids and they're like, how do I help my kid? What are, they, what are they really struggling with? Why won't they open up to me? And, and, you know, the, the mentors who are in our lives oftentimes find it hard to know the right thing to say. And that's, that's what makes a, a really great mentor is, is the, the ability to listen. And so I think when we can find ways to communicate about the, the tougher things in um, through a metaphor or a story that someone else might know, um, you know, Every ninety-year-old, every ninety-year-old who's who is alive today, most likely has heard the her story of Hercules, right? Um, so right, these ideas right. of trials and tribulations—it's not something that's new, and and things come with experience. So I, I hope I answered your question there. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and from what you said too, there was so much great information. One thing I want to acknowledge, and I think is an important point in therapy, is you talked about the sadness, um, the sadness character in Inside Out. And also understanding the value of that. I've noticed this theme and maybe you have as well where the, I don't want to say negative emotions because that's not, I don't think that's the right way to characterize them, but maybe the more unpleasant, uncomfortable emotions. Yeah. Um, a lot of times when I'm working with clients, they experience that. And then there's a judgment for experiencing it or like a negative association with that feeling. Like I shouldn't be experiencing this feeling. And I really like the idea of finding the value in the different emotions, right? It's uh, something I said recently that, and I mean, I'm sure plenty of therapists have said this in different ways, but that even the pain, right? That discomfort, it is there in a sense, and maybe a broad sense to protect you, to let you know that something is going on and maybe needs some attention. Um, yeah. And, and it's uncomfortable though. And I, 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 we also tend to want to feel cozy and comfortable mm -hmm. uh, yeah but it's, it's yeah it's our it's one of our biggest biggest uh, strengths and, and biggest weaknesses as well uh, is the desire to feel comfortable it's what can lead to complacency and can lead to not growing not changing and and you know and apathy as well and so i, I think you're really you know, you're really on to exactly what it is that our feelings can change how our brain thinks and bias us in ways that we may not be aware of all to, like you said, keep us safe. You know, Oh, I, I messed up. I said the wrong thing in a, with, with social anxiety, for example. Uh, oh my God, I shouldn't have said that thing. Um, uh, oh my God. I'm, you know, like everyone must think I'm an idiot. Everyone's going to think I'm crazy. Everyone's going to think this, that, and that really those thoughts are there to 
in essence, keep you protected from feeling isolated. And, and the, the backwards thinking is if I don't say X, Y, and Z, then my friends will like me or, uh, or this or this or that. And that it's all to kind of prevent a bad outcome from happening as opposed to bring forward a good outcome a lot of times. And that's really where the, the difference between mental unwellness and mental wellness comes in. Absolutely. And I, I think that's, that's such a, a perfect definition and then tying in the characters, right? And it kind of reminds me of like the, uh, the parts work in therapy and some of the trauma work. Two, two things that just came up for me there. One was, you know, you're talking about the idea of the metaphors and that narrative meta and metaphorical approach. This has been, like you're saying, this has been going on forever. Like the story of Hercules, this is like kind of our, our human condition is to, to learn through stories and fables and all of these lessons that get passed through. And, and they are powerful, right? When someone shares a certain metaphor and then people kind of sit and ponder upon that because for one it's not directed at you internally so it, to my point earlier it, it may be it can land a little softer with less defensiveness it's not directed at me or you know critical towards me it's a story that I could figure out maybe I could connect to certain parts of it or not but also I think as you expand the characters maybe in your life right and the social anxiety part is who's that character that shows up? When do you need them? When do you have, when do you need a different character yeah. and the different superheroes that exist within you? Maybe sometimes that, that superhero that comes up is beneficial. And to your point, sometimes there's a line where maybe it's not anymore. Exactly. And, yeah. And I, I like, I know from my own personal experience that there are plenty of times where if I put my quote unquote therapist hat on at the wrong time uh, or in the wrong place, that it actually becomes detrimental. And so uh, a tendency maybe even to, to listen and give someone your undivided attention could in fact backfire if your attention isn't the thing that's required at that point and, and you listening to them is not what's needed. Um, and so if you're listening when you should be talking and talking when you should be listening, that all of a sudden things can get all sorts of jumbled. So it's really important to be able to monitor the roles that we play and the roles that we have to play uh, in life um, as, as um, complicated as that can be. Um, that when a parent needs to be a parent, they can't be, a, they, you know, that's not the time for them to be a friend um, and, or to be friendly, I should say. Um, and when a parent needs to, you know, get a child out of the door, um, that they might act in a, in a certain way as compared to they wouldn't necessarily act that way if, they're, if everyone's sitting around the dinner table together. And so being able to learn how to shift roles accordingly uh, is really the essence of, of what a true superhero is, um, understanding that uh, you have to be able to partition some of your own stuff away for, uh, for a certain you know, reason, uh, give or take, so that you can be there and show up in, uh, in a way that's important to you. And so with patients, a lot of times they come in and talk about, I'm having trouble, you know, talking to my friends, I'm having trouble coming up with the right thing to say. And so sometimes people are so focused on thinking that they need to share something that they fail to realize that in that moment, actually a good strategy is to ask somebody about, about themselves. Um, and that suddenly then, and then they're no longer faced with that pressure and they can have a little bit of time to figure out what they want to say next. And so learning essentially how to identify a person, uh, one's own values and, um, how to hone in on, well, what is it that's really driving me to do this thing? Uh, that a lot of times the, the unhealthy behaviors that people do are fueled by, by a desire to do good. And then they end up feeling badly. They feel guilty, ashamed, embarrassed, whatever it is from a, a small misstep and end up beating themselves up. I shouldn't have done it. This, that, and the other way. And that's where the logic starts to go awry and helping to think about 
different characters maybe who have made poor decisions at certain points. Well, what, what do you think was driving them? And then bring it back to, to a page. Well, what, and what was driving you when you said that thing that you wish you hadn't said? What, what, was, what, was, what was going on in that moment? Tell me what your anger wanted to communicate, something like that. I love that. Now that's incredible. That's, and then I'm curious and where did, where might it go from there? Let's say that, let's say I go ahead and identify it. Like this is what's happening. Uh, what my anger was trying to uh, communicate. Um, I mean, I can imagine where you might take me further, but what, what might it look right. like from there? Yeah. So, Especially so with the integration of the character. Sorry. About that. Yeah, no, of course, of course. Yeah. So like a traditional course of superhero therapy starts with, with telling the origin story. I, I'll walk you through a little bit of what like a, a, a superhero therapy course of treatment would look like. So it generally starts, patient comes in, they tell me about their story, blah, blah, blah. And then usually ask them if they have any, you know, favorite superheroes, fandoms, TV shows that they're watching and so on. Um, we talk about that for a little bit and then we go into the, the origin of the problem. And it, it really starts with telling the origin story and finding out from the very beginning, um, are patients thinking of themselves more as the, as a survivor of something really terrible that happened? Are they already in that place and they're still, and they're working through that angle of it or are they still in that victim um, that victim arena and we have to help move them towards well I survived this thing it's not something that, I, that I'm a victim of or to so we, we tell the origin story we write it out um, we identify specific treatment goals what you know do you want to change behaviors thoughts feelings and so on and so forth uh, to work with that and then and identifying the the monsters that that person faces so are those mon and those monsters could be very unpleasant um emotions that you were talking about before embarrassment disappointment guilt shame regret things like that uh, the monsters could be thoughts things like i'm not good enough i'm not capable enough i'm never going to find love i'm never going to be happy all things that can be um you know thoughts, which are generally pretty positive and generally pretty benign that can be, um, you know, uh, taken over by the parasite of, of the monster. Um, and that if we can help to, to kind of slow that down, we can separate, okay, well, you also have these, these protective hero thoughts that are there somewhere as well, that not all your thoughts are monsters. You and I both know that, um, you know, the thought of like, it's going to be sunny tomorrow. That's probably not a monster thought. Maybe the, the feeling if you're depressed might be the monster, um, but it's going to be sunny tomorrow is a pretty, pretty benign thought. So that just as the monster thought of I can't handle it, you've also got these other thoughts and their voices have kind of been suppressed by the loudness of the monsters, which is thoughts like, I can do this, or I might be able to succeed. Um, and that, that slowly but surely we chip away at that, we take away the monster's weapons and, and so on and so forth, identify your values, um, you know, is it family, curiosity, uh, adventure, kindness, and so on and so forth. And if a person finds themselves not necessarily acting in line with those values, that's really where suffering comes in. I'm someone who believes in family, but I'm not calling people who I consider my family for, for argument's sake. Um, so definitely a little bit of a personal, personal, uh, personal element there. I mean, I, I really love the explanation. And it, for one, it's, the approach sounds so fun. It sounds less in, somewhat less intimidating, right? Cause I can come in and anchor on to a, a positive point of my life. Like, of, of a character that I admire or enjoy, you know, talking about. So with that, I'm also curious is what about this approach do you find that is like unique and special that may offer something to clients that may be uh, traditional like talk therapy or just, you know, that might not, might not offer. Yeah. So uh, I'm really, I'm really thankful you asked that. Um, it's an excellent, excellent question. So that 
one approach that this approach has is that, uh, or one advantage that this approach has, uh, is uh, it brings in, an, in a, it brings in community in a way that I think other uh, therapeutic modalities don't necessarily touch upon. That a lot of uh, therapy approaches they incur, you know, support groups and things like that. When you have a fandom, you have a community that exists, uh, whether you know that you're included in that part of the community or not. That there is a giant group of people out there who do like the same thing, who like this thing that you do. And maybe there'll be certain elements of your personality that they won't get along with. That being said, chances are if they like Star Wars and you like Star Wars, you guys can find some, you, can, you guys have some, some shared humanity uh, there. And so there's a, a lot of an element of community where people don't necessarily think that there are, there's as much to be gained um, in, with regard to improving one's mental health from something like television, from binge watching television. Um, and that in, most people would say, oh, that's a problem immediately. And I say, well, what show are you binge watching? That's my first mm -hmm. question. My first question is not, how do we help you not binge watch TV shows? It's, well, what show are you currently binge watching? Tell me about yeah. that. What, what's, what's leaving you binge watching it? Is it something about the show? Can we substitute a different show in? Like, let's say someone's binge watching TV in an unhealthy way. Can we help them find a show that they, maybe they're excited to start, but they haven't started because they've been too depressed. And so they haven't wanted to start that show and, or whatever it is. Um, so uh, the original prompt was um, what makes it different. And so I, I really think that that, that sense of community um, and the knowledge that, a lot of people who go through trauma don't really feel that they have people to support them. And, and that's part of what keeps PTSD going is feeling unsupported, feeling like you don't, right. you can talk to and talk with about it. That being said, if you've got characters on a, on a screen that are going through these things and those things are, are being depicted well, that all of a sudden uh, there are characters that are written and that exist that have been relating um, to these things and dealing with these things, albeit in a, in a fictional universe. Um, so there's that. The, the other thing is that there's re research that has, that has shown that people connect very much with art and it, it touches on that, that, that human element. Um, and that, you know, art can make a person cry. Um, a really emotionally evocative piece of, of artwork really hits, it hits home. And so it, it adds a whole layer of exploration that I think a lot of therapists wouldn't necessarily touch uh, or think that there's as much uh, value there. And that, you know, if you ask me, you know, if I asked you like, you know, do you think there's value in Star Wars? Or if you asked me that, like my answer would be like, I don't even understand why this is a question. Of course there's value in Star Wars. Fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering and suffering leads to the dark side. There you go. It's, it's, it's you know, it's everything right there. Um, so that, that element of community and, and the, is the unexpected nature of where learning can, can start. I, no, I mean, I, this, this approach excites me so much because I also, I also see it so relevant to any age, right? Like we think about when I was given the example of working with the nine-year-old, um, it was the, the more, it was the easier way to jump into the conversation about emotions using inside out. We've used that a lot at my organization for younger kids to uh, help them understand and externalize what emotions are for and how they can be experienced differently. Yeah. Giving this external picture. Do you have some favorite, I know you mentioned go-tos like in and out. Do you have some 
personal favorite characters that you're like, I really like this character because they're dynamic and these are kind of the arcs they go through that are really relatable I, to humans. But I yeah. definitely do. I definitely <laughs> do. My, my personal favorite is, is Batman. You can, you can see my Batman clock right over, right over yeah. there. Uh, it's a gift from a gift from a grad school friend. Um, so my personal favorite character is Batman. I think he's, he's extremely straightforward and extremely nuanced and extremely layered as well. Um, and that's something that you, you know, that, that you can learn simply just like how often like, you know, like I'm like, who are you? I'm Batman, right? That it's so fused with his identity that he keeps that part of him so, so compartmentalized. Is it, is it unhealthy to some degree? Yes. Uh, as I think all uh, black and white is, but um, that, that my, my favorite character is certainly Batman and the whole Bat family. And that, one of the things that I really like about Batman is that initially he kind of starts off on his own um, and then slowly but surely um, more and more Bat members kind of, you know, come into the fold and, right. and they have this whole family. And so at the end of the day, Batman actually has what he's been searching for all along, which is a sense of family and a sense of connectedness. Um, and so kind of seeing that arc turn around and, and learning and learning about the different relationships that he has with, with his mentor, with his mentees, um, and so on and so forth. And then eventually becoming, you know, the Batman of Batman Beyond, which excellent show, highly recommended. Um, so my favorite character personally is, is Batman and, and thinking about his, um, his journey and uh, how, you know, Alfred is really probably the, the closest, uh, the closest thing to family that, that he has. Yeah, that's a great character, and I haven't seen, I, I definitely was, like, really into, I think, the definitely the newer Christopher Nolan film, mm -hmm. um, specifically uh, Dark Knight, um, but yeah, I mean, incredible character to think about, and there's so much, I mean, I can't even imagine how much content is out there about Batman and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> such an incredible yeah, amount. We we just um, there was a, just a, a book put out. Um, the Joker, I just contributed to a book, The Joker Psychology: Evil Clowns and the Women Who Love Them. Um, oh. it's by uh, it, it's part of the uh, the Pop Psychology series uh, by Dr. Travis Langley. I think I mentioned him before. He mm -hmm. he was probably on the um, that video that you were mentioning uh, before we started the whole Joker angle and the abusive relationship between him and Harley. Uh, actually, that's something that I would, I would love to just say something on for a moment. Um, yeah. So many people kind of like idolize the, you know, the relationship between Harley and the Joker and, and just as a reminder of just how unhealthy that dynamic is uh, as well. Uh, you know, Harley really learns to kind of step out on her own and um, to, to find people in her life who are supportive of her, you know, for example, Poison Ivy and the relationship that developed between the two of them is very um, empowering and uh, empowering relationship. And so Batman really has a lot of, a lot of very, very well written um, villains as well, where there are a lot of really great stories, especially in, in Batman, the animated series. It's a, it's a wonderfully psychologically rich take on, on Batman. I would, I would say probably even, potentially more psychologically rich than, than, than the Nolan universe. Wow. Um, yeah. I, I actually, I will state that. I think that in <laughs> the animated series, the, the, the Bruce Tim and Paul Dini universe is, is so much more psychologically rich. Oh, I love it. I mean, broadly, even to your point earlier, right? The idea of art, even, even I think beyond the, the superhero realm, like we we're drawn to it. Like I said, even other movies because of the emotional response we, that can kind of be evoked by watching it that how we connect to watching the characters in these films or 
or in the comic books or 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 whatever other kind of art form. Yeah. I want um, to go yeah. Go ahead. Before you before you I just wanted to follow up on something you were saying before about like the yeah. different graphic novels. I, I I wanted to to say to share like it's not just DC Marvel stuff, but there's actually a lot of other um uh, a lot of other things as well. Uh, so this one is called Speak. Um, oh, cool. By um, by e. Laurie House Anderson, and it's about selective mutism. And so the back oh, wow. just literally the, the whole back just says, "I said no." Um, so you don't really know much of what it's about. Speak up for yourself. We want to know what you have to say. You know. So so she ends up actually the character in the book ends up uh, going selectively mute to avoid having to interact with people. So that's one. Um, I have this one over here. It's called Bottoms Up, um, which is true stories of people who hit rock bottom as a result of substance use. Wow. Um, so I, I use things like that. Um, and it, they're just very, very, very real. I'm not going to you know, flip through it. Um, this one over here, it's called Lighter Than My Shadow. It's an excellent take on, um, on eating disorders. Um, and you know, like like many kids, Kate, Katie was a picky eater. She'd sit at the table in silent protest, hide uneaten toast in her bedroom, listen to parental threats that she'd have to eat it for breakfast. And so it's a story about mental illness and the struggle of, of eating disorders. Uh, here's one on um, for schizophrenia. It's called Sinking, and it's a very mm. realistic depiction of uh, someone who's sinking into the depths of psychosis. So. From a you know from a very broad perspective, there's so many graphic novels out there that um, that most of the really good stuff that Image Publishers puts out a lot of very um, very strong mental mental health themed stuff. So it's it's not just the traditional narratives; it's also everyday real life heroes um, who are telling their stories, putting it out there, and that you know chances are some of the the ancient stories that we used to hear about were really stories about mental health struggles you know um whether it's odysseus or hercules that those were probably fancified tales of people who struggled with things like depression and um being trapped and um getting taken advantage of or feeling betrayed or this that or the other thing being lied to and, and how they recovered through through so many of those things. Um, you know, some of the oldest stories in the Bible are stories of, of mental health struggles as well. Oh, I appreciate you sharing it. I think it's it's so powerful. Like even going back to that idea of community, right? As you showed me these books, I imagine I'm sitting there uh, reading, and then as soon as I see and relate to something, right? I hopefully, and I think maybe commonly, I then feel less alone in that suffering or struggle that I might be in the middle of. And I'm like, okay, like, wow, like, I, this rings true to me, right? This is, and here's someone that is this hero, this everyday hero that's, that's working through it, right? That can inspire me and empower me, really, to say, I, I can be that hero, too. I think where we see mental health really begin to struggle is where we, we have this secret suffering that we think no one else has, and there's no path to, to wellness. It's just like, something is, wrong with me versus I'm just I'm just going through this is something I go through and and there's probably been plenty of people that have gone through similar things not always exactly the same but similar themes and 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 there's hopefully a good story to that that we can find right definitely yeah definitely I, I have a little card on the on, on my um 
in my in my room that it literally just says it all be, it all started with the graphic novel and that's and it just it, it, it's literally it's like an old business card of mine that I literally just jotted that sentence down and it, and it reminds me of, of where this all started and, and what this is really all about that this is a, it's a very personal story for everyone and that therapy is an extremely therapy is an extremely vulnerable vulnerable space it's it's supposed to be that way it's right. supposed to be a space that is non-judgmental and that a person can say whatever they want and not everyone always knows what, what it is that they want to say. And right. so if we can help find a way to help a person express their voice in what's a very vulnerable place, you know, you're like, you're sitting across from a doctor. A lot of times patients are afraid to say, I want to kill myself because mm -hmm. they don't want to trigger a whole series of events. And I'm, and my first question is, have you, have you ever tried before? Mm -hmm. uh, or how long have you been feeling that way? My first question isn't, are you going to do it? That's right. like the last question that I'm going to ask you. It's like, are you planning on doing it? Um, and, and that so many people don't want to talk about those things because they're so afraid that the doctor's going to call the cops or call the hospital and they're going to end up in this system that they're not going to be able to get out of. Um, and that really the, the thing that a therapist wants and, and quite honestly needs to hear is exactly where a person is in their suffering um, mm -hmm. and where they are in their pain and how intense their pain is. And for us to work together to decide, are you going to be safe? And to do that together rather than just say, I'm, you know, like, um, Oh, you're going to end up in a hospital things like that. Yeah. It's not, it's not how that goes. And so I, I guess if there's one thing that I want your, your listeners to take away from this, if there's one thing above all else is, is ask for help when you need it. Mm -hmm. Ask for help when you need it, and and don't be ashamed. And if you are ashamed, that's okay too. Yeah, <laughs> that's what that's what a therapist is there for. Yeah, <laughs> Don't feel shame. Don't feel shame. Makes no difference to me. Just ask for help. Yeah, I love it. Briefly, uh, as we we come towards the end of the hour here, I wanna I I, I don't want to forget because I do want to ask about the uh, the exposure part. Right. There's a little bit of shift in that. How I understood it looking at your website is that you are able to do it through VR or are there other ways that you kind of integrate this work? Yeah, yeah. definitely. I'm, I'm really glad that you asked about that. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't really had a chance to do a lot of uh, in-person exposure work since the pandemic started, quite frankly. Um, so in terms of exposure, so I just want to say what, what, I, what I mean by that, that uh, for most fear-based disorders, that exposure and response prevention is the standard gold line of treatment, right? The, mm -hmm. the classic example that I like to use is the example of uh, a dog. If someone's afraid of a dog, uh, that the only way to get over that fear is to interact with things that fall under the umbrella realm of D-O-G. Um, right. Without that, you're not going to get over the fear. It's just not going to happen. Um, you know, you, you might believe that you'd be capable of it, but if you never hold that dog, your brain is never going to get a chance to learn, I can handle this. Yeah. So that uh, what exposure therapy is, is not exposure in the sense of, oh, open up and, you know, now we're going to jail, <laughs> not that kind of exposure. Um, exposure to the feared stimuli and the sensation of helplessness that a person feels and learning that that state doesn't uh, last forever and that the, the, the hopelessness and the helplessness that it does pass and that a person can be successful at approaching the things that trigger the fear response. 
and that that fear is very, very real, as is danger. And where anxiety comes in is when we experience fear in the absence of actual in the action in actual danger. Um, in essence, a fear response that that that, that uh, a fear response that's induced by perceived danger rather than actual danger. And so, if we can help a person to learn that that experience is what's going on. Uh, and to face those things, to bring themselves closer, that generally the thing that maintains anxiety and fear is avoidance of facing the thing that's not actually dangerous, right? right? That a feeling of a feeling helpless is just that, it's a feeling. Mm -hmm. And maybe, right. uh, and, and that feeling hopeless is a little bit more of a scary feeling because it starts to you know, infiltrate our thought processes a little bit more. That being said, feeling hopeless doesn't mean there isn't any hope. Feeling helpless doesn't mean that there isn't any, any help and it doesn't mean that you're not empowered. It doesn't mean that you can't be empowered. None of that is factually correct. It doesn't logically follow. And that's where humans start getting themselves all tripped up. But if I am, if I feel helpless, doesn't that mean I am helpless? And the answer is right. an unequivocal no. Um, in a moment of anxiety, in a moment of distress, we don't necessarily recognize that. And so that's in essence what a therapist is there for, to help you face and and expose yourself to the things that you are fearful of without any real threat to you right and learning that danger is a lot of times in the mind um it's also in the real world it's also a lot of times in the mind yeah no absolutely and to, to your point right the common therapist phrases feelings aren't facts right it doesn't mean that they're they're lies but feelings can just be feelings. sometimes they might be completely truthful right mm -hmm. uh, but a lot of times to your point it could just it could just be in the mind right and that exposure allowing the individual to recalibrate their mind body's response to the uh, previously feared stimuli and yeah. yeah I mean to your point is needing to eventually be exposed to things related to that that perceived threat <laughs> Exactly. And just, you know, an excellent case in point, like I have some anxiety about putting myself out there and, you know, like, oh my God, what if I'm an imposter? What if I don't know what I'm talking about? All those things are going on in the back of my mind in this moment um, and working through that and, you know, at least feeling helpless and overwhelmed and this, that, and the other thing. And that in essence, the only way to get through that uh, is to say, well, I'm going to put it out there. And if someone wants to challenge me on it, well, then they can go ahead and, and, and so on and so forth. And that that whole sequence of events would play itself out. And so that my goal in this moment is say things that are truthful. And then you have it. Yeah. And that's just that. And say you don't know if you don't know something. And, and that those are rules that doctors have to follow, right? That an unethical doctor is a doctor who claims to know something they can't, that they can't know. Um, so that one of the things as, as an OCD therapist is that I have to be ready to say, I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know. Uh, let me learn more about that. Um, and that no one knows everything. Some people, some, sometimes part of the problem is that a patient thinks that a doctor has all the answers and, and, and that's not true. Yeah. It's not, <laughs> it's not even remotely true, right? <laughs> you know, um, so, and, and for a lot of people saying, I don't know, is actually a very scary experience because they're afraid to look helpless or look right. stupid. And I'm and, and like, okay, A, stupid's a judgment. B, I'm not quite sure what looking stupid looks like. Um, and so saying, I don't know, is something that a lot of people can just do as an exposure for themselves. Like if they don't know something, you can, you can think something up and you can, don't, don't, you know, 
I wouldn't advise a person to, to pass it off as fact. And that in right. fact, a, a more helpful approach should, could be, I'm, I'm not sure. And even to that point, when the, the expert, so to speak, as the therapist in the room, you know, the doctor in the room offers that, I don't know. It, for, for me, I think a, a huge benefit to that could be that it humanizes the experience that, hey, I'm, I'm just a human as well. I may have this training, but at the end of the day, I'm not this all, you know, all knowing figure in front of you. Like, this is going to be a collaborative thing that we do, especially in therapy. But I think it also brings like some humility to the experience, maybe some less less uh, perceived intensity. I, I definitely noticed in yeah, my work. That, we're not these, that, that psychologists are not these all-knowing, right. you know, figures of, of ultimate wisdom and truth, even if we have some of that, that we're right. figuring out along the way just as, just as you are. Um, yeah. And so that a lot of times for patients, like they want like an older therapist because they, they think that means that they uh, that they're better, and that's not necessarily true. Um, that a, you know, a good therapist is a therapist who listens and mm -hmm. listens, and that that's what makes a good therapist, and and compassion and things like that. So that it, you know, I, I don't want anyone who's listening to this to to come away from this with the idea that that you know I'm I'm some sort of all knowing guru. That's definitely not right. definitely not the case. <laughs> <laughs> well, I. I, I think we're coming here towards a, a natural sort of close, but I really do, I really, really do appreciate the work that you, you do because I think that it does break down the stigma of what therapy can be. I know we were talking before we were recording and just from people I've talked to that have, you know, kind of just people that I know of like, what, what stops you from ever seeking therapy? And, you know, a lot of times it's, you know, to your point, it's, it's, so we know this, it's a, it's a place where it's going to get vulnerable, but only that, it's like, what are our images of what therapy looks like? And a lot of that, you know, comes from media, movies and things of like that. And it, it might not always be portrayed, I mean, portrayed in a way that it can be, which in my opinion is essentially limitless in a lot of ways. Don't get me wrong. There's laws, ethics and all of that. Right. But therapy today, that it, it's not always just someone sitting in a room in a, a suit and kind of analyze how does that make you privilege. feel <laughs> right right, right. right. Exactly. Like, I, i've got like 50 different versions of how does that make you feel yeah. what, what emotion comes up for you there or uh yeah does it does it leave you feeling any sort of ick that, that's, that's 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 another one yeah so it's like it, we, we have these ideas of, of what therapy is supposed to look like and quite frankly one of the best depictions of therapy i've ever seen came from came from Rick and Morty on the Pickle Rick episode. I thought that that was one of the best depictions of a therapist that I have ever seen on television. You know, someone who knows the limits of their, limits of their, their, uh, their, their competency and, uh, and sticks to those things. I do family therapy and I treat people who eat poop. That's the, that's the therapist's, uh, you know, um, but she handles, but for anyone who's seen Rick and Morty, she handles Rick like a pro. She handles, yeah. she handles the smartest man in the universe like a pro. Oh, I'm going to have to look into Rick and Morty. I haven't seen it. I know like that it's, I've heard so many people tell me to watch it, especially clients. Um, they're like, guy, what are you doing? But definitely. <laughs> I will have to definitely check that out. Yeah. I mean, this is to me, what I told you earlier before we started as well, is that what one of the huge things I really hope is that the talk and you continues to break down the stigma of what therapy really can look like or can be. Cause to me at the core, 
you know, my tagline is exploring the human experience. Part of that is, is suffering to different degrees as being a human and experiencing the ups and downs of life and the uncertainties and all of that. And I want more than anything that those things continue to become okay to talk about, normal to talk about, encouraged to talk about so that we can feel more connected one, with one another, that we don't suffer in isolation, that we don't think we're crazy and so yeah. on. <laughs> and I think a great way to uh, break a lot of those stigmas is using things we, we, we love in pop culture through the, you know, the graphic novels, the comics, maybe even video games, uh, movies. And thousand, super thousand percent. You have video <laughs> games or mindfulness exercises, you know, have right. the buttons feel when you're pushing them. What do you see on the screen? Um, and I just want to take a moment to, to give a plug for, for Dr. Scarlett's uh, book. She actually, she put out a graphic novel called Dark Agents, Violet and the Trial of Trauma. Uh, and she's doing a whole, hopefully, uh, God, God willing, the whole series will come to fruition. Um, but I, I wanted to recommend that. And one of the things that I love about it, and I'm actually going to probably record a, a little um, video on that and after we're done with this, um, is how it describes the approach of therapy and how it teaches mindfulness in the course of a graphic novel. That it's, it's a graphic novel that is, that is it's an excellent graphic novel as a graphic novel, period, end of story. What I loved about it was that uh, it teaches mindfulness and how to do mindfulness in the course of the plot of the novel. And that one of the characters goes to a character in the book who is a, a demon, who also happens to be a mental health counselor. It's a beautiful thing. Um, and it, and it step, step by step instructs a person in how to practice mindfulness. My feet are on the ground. I'm noticing the thought that blah, blah, blah. I'm having the feeling of blah, blah, blah. And, and it's, it's just so excellent. And I, I can't recommend Dr. Scarlett's work enough. That's for sure. <laughs> Incredible. I like, I appreciate your time so much. I know we've been, you, you reached out to me on, on Instagram months ago about guests. Every time I, I, I say I'm looking for guests and um, I wish I could, you know, do the podcast more and more. And I, I think I'm getting there, but I really appreciate it. Like I said, you're my first guest that I don't know personally. So <laughs> it was, it was really a pleasurable experience to really get to know about the work you do because um, usually other people I talk about, I kind of know uh, a little bit about the work they do a little bit more. Um, I think it sounds like you're doing incredible work. Is there anywhere you'd like to plug for people to find your, your info? Definitely. Thank you so much for that, for that opportunity. Yeah. So, so first and foremost, um, I'm on Instagram at nerd underscore therapist. Uh, that's nerd underscore therapist, not dash. Uh, and I'm on Facebook at Nerd Psychology. Those are just the, you know, whatever. I, as much as I love followers and everything like that, I hate, I hate the follower game. So feel yeah. free to give a follow. I appreciate it. Um, content doesn't get put out as often as I would like there. We're working on that. Uh, I have a website, soapandpsychology.com, and the sub page is soapandpsychology.com slash nerd dash therapy. I have an office in the financial district of Manhattan. Right now, everything is virtual, hopefully going to be starting some in-person sessions again soon, socially distant, but fingers crossed, who knows. So if you're located in New York, uh, you can definitely give a call uh, at 347-708-2920 is, um, is my business line and my email is sobenpsychology at gmail.com or the real nerd therapist at gmail.com. That's, that's, that's that. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, if, 
Uh, I'll keep you on for a second afterwards if the recording, if that's okay. But once mm-hmm. again, uh, Dr. Yoni Sobin, the nerd therapist, thank you for coming on to the show today. This has been Therapy Podcast. Talk to you all next time. Bye.